This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Give me your prognostication, if you will, what you think may happen when we see 2022 in the Winter Olympics. On the ladies' side, Alyssa Liu is currently the two-time U.S. national champion. She's only 15. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is Olympic figure skating gold medalist and celebrity champion on Dancing with the Stars, Christy Yamaguchi. Presented by GEICO. Reality TV fans likely best know today's guest as the winner of the sixth season of Dancing with the Stars. But sports fans revere her for her extraordinary figure skating in Albertville back in 1992 when she became the first Asian-American figure skater to win an Olympic gold medal. It is my pleasure to welcome the great Christy Yamaguchi. Christy, welcome to Game Time. Well, thank you so much for having me, Boomer. <laughs> great to be here. First and foremost, you and I have a lot in common, by the way. You probably don't realize this. I was asked to do Dancing with the Stars the first, second, and third season that it came out. My teenage daughter at the time told me, you're not doing that, Dad, because you're going to ruin my life. Not my <laughs> life, her life. So do more people know you for Dancing with the Stars than your skating prowess? Probably it opened up a whole different demographic. I think a lot of kids watch that show with their parents, right? So um, I had other young kids coming up to me and even little boys being like, oh, that's the lady from Dancing with the Stars. And, you know, no clue that I was actually an ice skater too. Well, you should have done it. <laughs> I should have done it. I know I, I didn't have any trepidation. I wanted to do it. But my, like I said, my teenage daughter, Sydney, was like, you're not doing that, dad. You're not ruining my life, that, that kind of thing. But uh, at the end of the day, did you have any trepidation going into that type of competition? You know, you have the skating back background, you have the choreography background. I was just wondering if there was any nervousness going into this. Yes, there. I mean, it, it actually took me a few weeks to confirm that I would actually do it because um, I was a big fan of the show. I loved watching it. It was great entertainment, but 
going on live TV and then being judged and receiving scores again was kind of, you know, I was like, oh, I left that behind. And, you know, do I want to go through all of that pressure again? Another thing we have in common that you probably don't know, I'm a huge hockey fan, so we both love hockey for different reasons. Obviously, Brett <laughs> Hedekin is uh, your husband and he was a former NHL player. He was on Team USA when you guys met over in Albertville. <laughs> uh, my son-in-law actually plays for the Islanders now. So uh, I, we are a hockey family, an NHL pro hockey family now, so we have that in common. Uh, what kind of impact has he made on you and your life since you guys met and, you know, his professional background? I was always a hockey fan, and, you know, a few years leading up to the Albertville Olympics, I was actually training in Edmonton, Canada. So hockey's life up there, and that's where I was really introduced to uh, professional hockey and the San Jose Sharks had just come into the league. So I was really learning a lot about it. So I had a great appreciation for it when we actually met in 1992. And, you know, I think it's a similar lifestyle that he had, you know, compared to mine and, you know, being athletes and really focused on that short window that we had to really do what we could on the ice. And then, um, you know, knowing that, we're going to be traveling a lot, living on the road and, you know, tough schedules like that. So, you know, I think even though our sports are very different, but on the ice, um, you know, the lifestyle and just kind of the mindset uh, was so similar. 1992 Olympic figure skating gold medalist Chrissy Yamaguchi says, people ask me, when did you know you were going to be an Olympian? And I'd answer maybe a year before. And they're like, really? And that's how I am. Like, really? Is that what you thought? Yeah, I think I just didn't want to get my hopes up too much and to set myself up for disappointment. And I really, really focused on what was in front of me and um, that particular season. So, um, you know, I had even a, going into the Olympic year, I still hadn't won a U.S. title yet. Um, I actually won my first world title before my uh, U.S title. So, you know, there's always doubt and like, do I have enough? And, you know, it's really competitive out there. But um, I think about a year before the Olympics, when I did win that first world title, um, I was like, okay, well, the Olympics is only a year away. This is a great um, intro into that pre-Olympic season. And, you know, my confidence had taken a boost up. I don't know if people know this, but you were born with club feet and you had to wear corrective braces for how long? Well, for the first 18 months, I actually had casts on both feet um, or both bottom parts of my legs. And that was just to straighten out, I guess, what was happening as I grew. Mm -hmm. So every couple of weeks, my mom said I would have to go in and get new casts put on as I was growing. And then about 18 months old, um, I moved into the corrective shoes and braces, like uh, with a bar between the, the, the two feet. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember learning how to crawl and trying to walk with it, but not <laughs> figuring out that army crawling was much easier yeah. wearing the brace. So um, probably up until I was, you know, two or three years old, I feel really fortunate that my parents took the initiative and had those corrections made early on um, because it, it allowed me to obviously pursue uh, a career in athletics, which, you know, probably they never thought would happen when I was do you, born. <laughs> do you, I was going to say, do you remember the first time that you actually put on skates and whether you liked it when you first tried them on? 
Um, I remember loving it. It's funny. I can almost feel like my mom holding me up and me trying to just, you know, skate around the rink with her. Um, I would, yeah, I was about six years old. And, uh, the one thing I do remember so vividly is, you know, we had frontal skates. It was, yeah. you know, first time going and I didn't want to give the skates back <laughs> when we left the ring. I said, no, these are mine. And my mom's like, no, no, when we come back, you can get those same skates again. So, um, you know, I think it was at that point when she realized like, uh Oh, okay. I think she's found something that, that she likes. Yeah. Well, not only do you like that you ended up becoming a world champion and, and I guess Dorothy Hamill was some sort of, I guess, inspiration and somebody that you looked up to. Yes. So, I mean, it was late seventies when I started skating and, um, you know, obviously Dorothy was the, uh, America's sweetheart at the time. And I had the little Dorothy Hamill Barbie doll and, um, you know, didn't know what the Olympics really were at that age, but, uh, you know, she was an idol and I looked up to her and, and her skating. Like I, I do remember watching her skate. I want to talk to you about dedication and what it means to become an Olympic champion. Christy Yamaguchi has said she kept a positive attitude at the 1992 Winter Olympics, yet she recalls that prior to her short program, it was terrifying. And then prior to her long program, it was terrifying. So Christy, how did you actually overcome the fear and realize that you were skating for the gold? Well, that first night for the short program, I knew what was on the line and so much of that is going through your head and I kept trying to push it aside. And, um, you know, shortly before I was to go uh, do my warm up on the ice and get ready for the competition, um, I received a note from my choreographer, um, Sandra Bezik. And uh, she was actually working that night, but had someone bring it down to me. And it was just a simple note and basically said, um, this is your moment. Uh, this is, you know, you're stepping out, you know, enjoy it. When we choreographed the, that program, um, it's to the Blue Danube. It's, you know, famous waltz. And it was kind of like my, we choreographed it as my debutante ball and, um, having that feeling. So it's, uh, the note just really put me into the character and reminded me of, um, you know, the confidence and, and the work that had been put into it and just didn't really enjoy it. In a situation like that, do you just kind of lose yourself? You're so focused that you don't even realize what's going on around you and you know that you nail it? Yeah, I mean, I, because you train that same routine over and over and over every day, it can get robotic or you just try to turn your brain off and let the music nice. carry you through. So. You know, that's a lot of how I calmed my nerves was just like, okay, listen to that first beat of music. And as it starts, let it go. Like just let it, your body do what it was trained to do. When did you decide to dedicate your life to this? Like what, I mean, you moved to Canada. I mean, that's sacrifice. You basically <laughs> gave up, like, I feel like you gave up your junior and your high school years to become a, a world champion gold medal winner. When, when did that hit you that you had to make that kind of sacrifice to become the champion that you are? I mean, I would say by the time I hit middle school or towards the end of middle school, I knew that that's what was my focus and that I would really do whatever it took to be as competitive and, and, and getting the training in and the instruction and everything uh, to take it to the next level. So, 
Um, so yeah, it was, you know, a different type of lifestyle, especially as a teenager growing up, but it was, it was really my choice. And, um, I did get to stay home through my junior and senior year, but literally the day after I graduated is when I moved up to Canada. So, um, you know, I kind of looked at it that, okay, this is, these are my college years, you know, I'm moving away from home. I'm going up and, you know, learning in a, a really rich training environment. Um, and it was, it was really a positive move, but it, it was a bit of a leap of faith probably. Christy Yamaguchi recalls that after the Olympics, the Asian American community was the first to reach out and offer assistance and help. That's when I realized that my, what my winning meant to the Japanese American community and my parents' history. And let's talk about your parents for a second, Christy. I know that they were an internment camp here in the United States. I'm, I'm sure it was very, very difficult for them. When you found out what their story was, how did that impact you? You know, I think we find out when we're really young and I think it doesn't really register kind of what that all means. But um, as I got older and particularly after the Olympics um, is when it really started sinking in and knowing that, um, you know, the, the hardships that they, their families went through, what they went through and to really establish a life uh, here in the U S and to allow the next generation to live that uh, that American dream um, I was I definitely felt I was a, a product of that of their perseverance of their determination of their uh, love for this country and belief in, in in this country so getting that support from the Asian American community was incredible and I think that's when it really hit me um, that I, I felt how I felt so fortunate to have had um, the opportunities because of the trail that was blazed um, by the generations before. And it was true that your your mom's dad was also a U.S. military war hero, isn't that true? <laughs> yes, I mean, he was um, in Europe and during World War II and, you know, fighting for the U.S. And uh, his wife, my grandmother, was back here, um, here in the U.S., but felt safer, you know, she wasn't, it wasn't mandatory for her to be in, in a camp because right. of her husband, but she felt safer there. That's where her family was. And when she was pregnant with my mom, she she wanted to be with family and have that support. So uh, my mom was actually born in the Amachi, Colorado camp, um, New Year's Day. <laughs> wow, that's some story. So uh, I've also heard that you said that it was tougher when you turned pro than the Olympics that uh, when you were a touring pro, that you went out there, you were in front of all these people that paid all this money to come and see you try to win in that environment. What was that like? Um, it was an interesting transition. I mean, back in the early 90s, there was still a pretty big distinction between um, amateur skating and then professional skating. And I uh, felt so lucky to join uh, an amazing professional tour called Stars on Ice. and. Um, I was joining the ranks of Scott Hamilton, Rosalind Sumners, Brian Orser, um, and these were seasoned professionals who really uh, continue to build their careers and create a professional skating environment um, that was uh, could be, you know, a career. So um, I felt like a rookie kind of that first year after the Olympics, even though I had just won. Um, I felt like I had a lot to learn. Um, I 
you know, knew how to focus and execute and to do the technical things, but it was really a whole new world opening up and becoming a professional skater and entertaining. So um, I had the best to learn from, and it was probably the greatest 10 years of my life touring um, with that with Stars and Ice Company. In 1996, even before she became a wife and a mother, or her other professional skating career had ended, Christy Yamaguchi was inspired by her parents to give back and she wanted to help benefit children, her other passion. The Always Dream Foundation is still going strong and Christy says, I'm blessed to have made an opportunity to be able to make a difference. So Christy, I have to tell you, I, I take my hat off to you. I know it's difficult during these times, the pandemic times, especially for non-for-profits. Tell me about your Always Dream Foundation. Yeah, so we are in our 24th year. Uh, the last nine years, we've really been focused on early childhood literacy. So having a reading program uh, targeted to kindergarten uh, kids and their families uh, who are low income and really providing them the tools and the access to books that they need to really create a, a strong foundation of reading of the love of books so that it will carry them through um, their entire school careers. Already three best-selling uh, children's books. Any more on the way? Uh, just talking to my publisher and yeah. Uh, yeah. I do have some ideas for a fourth book and uh, we'll hopefully, you know, buckle down and, and, and start writing, yeah. <laughs> you know, this summer. So, so we'll see, hopefully. All right, that's good. And as far as the Winter Olympics is concerned, it's going to be uh, in Beijing in 2022. Um, give me your thoughts about that. Give me your prognostication, if you will, what you think may happen uh, when we see 2022 in the Winter Olympics. Yes, so hopefully um, we'll see the Tokyo Games go on uh, mm -hmm. next summer in 2021 and then Beijing right around the corner with the Winter Games. And um, I think as far as figure skating, the U.S. will have a potentially very strong team. Um, and on the ladies' side, uh, kind of a, another local gal here from the Bay Area, Alyssa Liu, is currently the two-time U.S. national champion. And she has yet to compete at the world level because she's only 15. Wow. <laughs> so next year, um, the Olympic year, will be her first year to be able to qualify age-wise um at that senior competitive level and she is up there with the the rest of the top of the world uh doing quadruple jumps the triple axle jump so really having taken the technical side of skating in the women's category to a whole new another level um and on the men's side nathan chen he is also um world champion and uh will probably be leading the men in, in in Beijing as well. How much different is it skating today compared to when you were skating back in the early 90s? It's pretty different. I mean, the skill and the technique, obviously uh, you wanna see the progression and the growth and that's exactly what has happened, um, especially in the women's category. I mean, what they're doing as much as, as the men are now, which is, it, it blows my mind really. It's like, <laughs> Wow. Uh, but, the, you know, and also the judging system, the, the way the sport is uh, judged is completely different. So it's um, it's add different nuances to skating and the I think the personality and how the viewers see it. But, um, you know, obviously still. 
great sport. <laughs> you know, to me, it looks so dangerous. And I don't know how these kids come up with these different routines, especially as you just said, a 15 year old doing these jumps and all of this. I mean, how, how does a 15 year old come up with the routine and the ideas to go for it like this? And how dangerous really is it? Well, first of all, hearing that coming from a football player <laughs> makes me laugh. Okay? Yes. We don't have people running at us trying to kill us. So, right. you know, flatten us. So, um, you know, it, it's it's really finding a way and, you know, taking small steps to, to get yourself to that next level to try the next thing. And, yeah. you know, when you're learning jumps, they do sometimes use like a harness to, you know, assist you and make the falls less uh, impactful, but, um, yeah, I, I you know, it's, it's just kind of, you, you throw yourself in the air and, you know, hope for the best. Well, when I watch you guys fly around the ice, I think, man, those people are crazy, but yet <laughs> <laughs> definitely a performance of a lifetime. Christy, thank you so much for joining us here today. And to all of you out there watching, I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time. If one of your daughters came to you today and said, mom, I'm moving to Canada to go work on my skating. What would you say? Go for it. My parents did this for me and they um, indulged me to go after this crazy dream. So, you know, I, I really want to try to do that for our girls as well.